When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If I had to choose one player to start my team in the whole wide world, you know, Kareem obviously is dominant, but if I had to pick one player, I would have to pick. This is Showtime with Coop Podcast, presented by BetOnline.ag on CLNS Media. As a quick reminder, please hit that subscription button if you have not yet already. That way, every time we release a new podcast, it shows up automatically in your feed. And please give us a rating. It really helps other people find the podcast. You know, I've, done, I've been doing this for about a month now, and I've never been excited about one person to come on here. I mean, I, I had some great ones, okay? Kareem and Lisa Leslie just mentioned too. But today, I am so excited because through my 12 Laker years, I only played for one team. I had a lot of teammates that I had. But this young man is probably the funniest, the most knowledgeable, uh, a true friend. I can say this, that I saw this young man come into the league at an early age, and I got a chance to see him leave as a legendary Hall of Fame player. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my friend, my comrade. He was always there with me. I got some stories to tell you about the Detroit Pistons series when they beat us in 89. James, no, big game, James Worthy. Thank you for being with us today. The Minister of Defense. (laughs) My tequila drinking buddy <laughs> ate a lot of meals at your house, boy. If it wasn't for you, I'd have been on the streets. <laughs> I tell you what, a little secret about James. James loves hot food. He loves spicy yes, food, uh, Mexican food. He used to come to our house and eat. And my wife back then uh, uh, would cook some hot tamales or no burritos. Burritos. James would literally have to give him a towel a face tile to eat because he would be eating and sweating like he was yeah. playing basketball and posting the Celtics up. <laughs> to this day, to this day. Hey, Coop, you still got that Trans Am? No, I don't. I got rid of that. You know, as we grow older and get up there in age, you got to get more uh, stable. So, no, I have just a basic uh, car now, James. That was classic, man. That was classic, man. Well, thank you. So, Jane, let's open this up. Uh, first, let's talk about home life, okay? You're from Gastonian. Tell us what it was like growing up and, and, and getting into basketball at an early age. Uh, Coop, I grew up in a very small town. You know, I am from the South, uh, country, um, you know, uh, dirt road, man. I grew up on a dirt road, uh, about 35,000 people uh, back then. So uh, there were limited resources, not a lot to do. Went to church a lot. You know, uh, went to the park a lot. Uh, that was about it. Boys Club kind of saved our lives as far as having any type of uh, away-from-home uh, organization. Uh, so uh, that was it. So you put yourself into sports. We didn't have a lot of a lot of gangs and, and, you know, other things to get into other than sports, 
Maybe you, you know, played in the school band or, you know, participated in the church choir, that kind of thing. Wasn't a lot of uh, options, uh, but sports was, was one. Uh, and I remember being like 5'11 in the sixth grade, man. And then when I came back in the seventh grade, I was like 6'1", 6'2". By the eighth grade, uh, I was 6'6", I was 6'7", by the eighth grade. So I, I let go of football, you know, because I was too big of a target. And uh, my, my dad made me quick because we didn't have insurance for that. You know, you must try to break a leg, man. You just Robitussin had to take care of it. You know what I mean? Uh, so I just became interested in basketball, man. That was it for me. I was really shy. You remember when I came to the Lakers, I wasn't that outspoken as I am now. But growing up, it was worse. I was really shy. And I found that through sports, especially through basketball, I, I could express myself, you know, when I was on the court. So <laughs> – I wasn't that good at first. I was really tall and skinny. And, you know, my friends, my age, wouldn't let me play with them because I could, I was tall. I could dominate. So I had to play with guys a little older than me, you know, 12 years old. I'm playing with guys 15, 16. You know, they're talking about, you know, sex and smoking cigarettes and stuff. And here I am, this little shallow 12-year-old. But that's how I got into it, man. And then I found out I could get a scholarship. When Listen, I found out I could get a scholarship, that's when I really got really got serious about it. Okay, so at that early age when you grew up, who was that nemesis or that person that used to, to, to torment you uh, when you were like an eighth, ninth, tenth grader back on in the school days? A guy named Bubba Wilson. Okay, <laughs> Thomas Thomas Wilson was his real name, but we call him Bubba. And to this day, uh, you know, he's been my my most inspirational player because he was like a a junior in high school, and I was like in the eighth grade. And uh, Coop, he played at uh, Western Carolina. Uh-huh. And then and then he played for the Golden State Warriors for maybe about a month before uh, I think Al Adams let him go. But uh, he was my guy, man. He was didn't have a lot of talent, you know, but he was strong and physical and played. He was kind of like a, uh, a Dennis Rodman type player. So I, I give all that credit. Uh, you know, to, to, to Thomas, Thomas Wilson, you know, when I was down, uh, I was getting beat up by older guys, you know, he would always say, come on, young fella, you know, kind of like you come on, young fella, keep going, keep it going. So yeah, man, Bubba Wilson, man, good brother. James, listen, you know, you have many people that we come across in our young age. I had some people, what do you think is the difference on why we made it and other players that came along that song, that same road didn't make it? Well, you know, uh, it, it's it's like the people around us, I, I think, you know, uh, having, you know, uh, a good support system, that, that helps a little bit. But I think we made the sacrifices, you know. Um, there were times when we wanted to go to the mall, you know, we went to the court, you know. Uh, we, we, we understood what the coaches wanted. You can't have, you can't have five Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's on the court. You can't have five, you know, uh, Magic Johnson. So you're you're a prime example of that. You said, okay, even though you could score, I remember you dropping 42 uh, in, in a game. Even though you could, your chances were better if you go out there and lock somebody up because you knew yeah. there's going to be a lot of guys that can score. So I think understanding that, uh, you know, uh, Kareem had four years of college. You had four, you know, three or four years. I had three. So I think that helped getting the science and the theory down. Uh, in college, 
So you didn't have to be taught as much uh, when you got to the pro. So I think, you know, just making those little sacrifices, working hard, that did it. So as we make those sacrifices, and now, like you said, going from high school to college, now you had two big universities in your state, North Carolina State, UNC, North Carolina. Why did you pick UNC? Well, I, you know, I was young, Coop. Uh, I had two older brothers, as you know, eight, nine years older than me. So there was a lot of commotion going on in, in the house. I was like seven or eight years old. I didn't really know what was going on. And I heard my dad say, that's a cool white man right there. And I didn't understand what was going on. The civil rights was going on right now. A lot of, a lot of racism crap was going on in, in the South. And I heard my dad say that. And then I later found out that Coach Dean Smith had it recruited and signed the first black player to the ACC. And it was Charlie Scott. So I always kind of was conscious of Coach Smith. And he, he almost lost his job behind that. Had a couple losing seasons and finally caught on. So I started going to basketball camp there early in the eighth grade. And I just fell in love with, you know, Walter Davis and Phil Ford. Mitch Kupchak was down there. I kind of, you know, I just kind of dug the campus. Um, I, I made some visits. You know, David Thompson played at North Carolina State. I was also a big fan of his. Yeah, big but, fan. Uh, yeah, man. When they won in 1974. Uh, so, but. You know, Coach Smith won me over, Phil Ford and those guys, and said so I, I, I chose North Carolina. So if there was, like, let's say two things that Coach Smith left with you before you left college, what would those two things be? Uh, you know, be grateful, man. Uh, coach Smith was a great basketball coach, uh, but he really was a life preparer. You know, he kind of prepared you for if you didn't make it in basketball. He really cared about people being conscious of your community, all the things that, you know, we, we do as, as, as athletes and, you know, respect the history. That's one thing he always, you know, respect the history. Someone, you know, paved the way for us to come along. So he was always conscious of guys like Charlie Scott and Earl Lloyd and and people who made those, uh, those sacrifices, you know, before we were able to. You know, James, you talk about so many great players that's come through that program. You've already mentioned a couple, but I'm going to mention a couple more. Sam Perkins, Vince Carter, Al Wood, all players like that. Where would you rank yourself amongst those players? I'm better than all of them, Coop. <laughs> that's my worthy right there. I, I, was, I was Dean Smith's favorite son. Uh, <laughs> no, you know, obviously, you know, Michael Jordan was a freshman my last year and and in in the documentary I talked about how I was better than him for about two weeks so I mean I think overall uh Michael gets that you know but Vince Carter you know a great player Charlie Scott doing his time but I put myself in the top five coup I was the first you know uh our team with MJ and Sam were the first to win a championship for Coach Smith. You know, he had been to the Final Four several times. And we lost to Indiana in 1981 against Isaiah Thomas and Bobby Knight and that crew. Is that and Kent Benson on that team? Nah, he, Kent Benson was on the 76 team. Okay, before, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they, were, they went undefeated that year. Yeah. But Isaiah Thomas, Landon Turner, uh, uh, Whitman, Whitman, Coach Whitman was on that team. Mm-hmm. Roy Tolbert, they had a pretty good team. 
but we rarely do you get to go back to the final four back to back. So we were able to go back to next year. We had a little bit more incentive and we, we won coach Smith's first championship for him. So, yeah. Now, was he a big, uh, 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 fundamental coach? I mean, did he use you guys as athleticism or was it more basic fundamental teamwork? Yeah. You know, the, the joke is, you know, who's the only guy, to be able to hold Michael Jordan to 14 points average. <laughs> it's Coach Smith. Yeah, it's, especially back then, Coop, when I played, didn't have a shot clock. So we literally used to practice with the medicine ball sometimes. If he, thought you, were put, if, you, if he thought you were putting it on the floor too much or too uh-huh. much ISO, pass and move, pass and move. You know, he had the full corner. So it was a lot of teamwork. Uh, didn't really believe in ISO, you know, let the game come to you. Uh, but you know, he had, he had some tools if he needed the ISO and, you know, obviously with Rashid Wallace and myself, Michael, if he needed to, but it was a lot of team ball. Michael didn't really get to explode, uh, till after he left North Carolina. What, what were your impressions of Michael when he came to the team? I think before the 81 season, when you guys lost Indiana, right? Yeah. Michael came 82. Yeah. He came in 82. Uh, Michael came to us. Uh, a better baseball player, actually, uh, when he was coming out of high school uh, and had a lot of raw talent, man, like super raw talent. But he, he hadn't actually put the the science and the theory of the game. Like, he utilized all his energy all the time. And so once he, you know, learned how to let the game come to him a little bit, learned how to use a pick, learned how to know where to get his shots, what spots were his hot spots, and how to play defense to his advantage. There's a lot of things that Coach Smith brought to him. Uh, but when he first came to us, uh, he was he was one of the most confident freshmen I've ever seen. You know, a bully, uh, trying to intimidate, uh, seeking out the best player on the team, which was me at the time, Sam Perkins and I. And he just consistently, relentless, you know, physically uh, wanted to play one-on-one, talking trash. You could see it then. If he lost a game of backgammon, it was like he had lost uh, a game seven of an NBA championship. I'm serious, man. The guy was so uh, crazy about losing. And we had a running program where the the small guards were running group A. They had the quickest time. We had to run these 220s. And the small guards had like 28 seconds to run their 220. And the small forwards had like 30 seconds. And then the centers had like 35 seconds. Well, Michael was in that middle group. And, of course, the, the, the guards, they were always talking trash. Well, you got three more seconds to make your time. So Michael went to Coach Smith, and he said, Coach, put me in running group A, please. And he went in running group A and just – dusted their asses man he was running his in 25 seconds <laughs> you know looking back at them running past the, the the finish line backwards and stuff that's how he was man we'd be practicing and we'd be tired coop you know how it is when you yep. you just want you just want to get off the court man and i'd be walking off the court and here comes michael man pushing me back on the court where you going big guy you scared you know, he just—he was just always just you know trying to test you. So that—that that was his attitude. I knew he was going to be an all-star, but I didn't know he was going to be what he turned out to be. Arguably, the best to ever played the game. 
Well, you know what, that work ethic that everybody puts into it, uh, yourself, Magic, uh, late, great Kobe Bryant, those are some of the things that you see that turns good players into great players, into legendary players. So you finish up that last season, you guys win the tournament. Did you think, again, coming into the NBA, that you would be drafted by the Lakers, or did you think you would go to another team? Well, at the time, Coop, remember, there was uh, there was no big lottery. Mm-hmm. So the Lakers got the number one draft pick by trading Don Ford and Chad Kinch to the Cleveland Cavaliers in 1976 or 77. Yep. And that's, that's when Cleveland was at the top of the league. So nobody expected Cleveland to sparrow down to the bottom of the league. So at the time, the team that got the number one draft pick was the team that had the draft pick was the Lakers, who had it via that trade, and the team who had the worst record, which was the Clippers at the time. They, they, they tossed a coin, Coop, and that's how they decided who got the number one draft pick. So Ralph Sampson decided to stay in school at Virginia. What yep. a dumb, yep. what a big mistake that was, in my opinion. <laughs> that you get a chance to come him, play. Great for you. <laughs> oh, man, you get a chance to come play with Kareem. Yeah. Imagine, imagine what his outcome would have been had he come to the Lakers. So when he decided to stay, I decided to come out after winning the championship and being the most outstanding player and Coach Smith encouraging me to put my name into the draft. Well, we kind of already knew that the Lakers, the Lakers didn't need anybody. You guys had just won two championships out of yeah. three years, yep. 80 and 82. It wasn't like you guys even needed it. So Jerry West was looking for somebody that fit. He really didn't need a score like Dominique Wilkins was the human highlight score. You know, yep. that may have worked out, maybe not. Terry Cummins, pretty good player, stronger than me really couldn't run the lane. He wanted someone that would fit in uh, and be a team player. And that's where I came from, from Coach Smith. So that's why I kind of knew that the Lakers were interested. I knew the Clippers wouldn't pick me. They would go out to Dominique or Terry Cummins. So it was was a perfect situation. So when I came to the Lakers, you know, I thought I was pretty good. You know, I'm just coming out of college. I had no idea what the NBA was all about. And I had played with Walter Davis and Mitch Kupchak and those guys in the summer, but I still hadn't been with the team. So, but when I came to the Lakers, I was, you know, I was kind of full of myself a little bit. I was very confident. So I walk in the gym, you know, and I'm thinking, look, I can start here. I I, I don't know why I had that in my mind, but, you know, most most dumb rookies kind of think that way. So I came in the gym. I looked at Kareem. I was like, yeah, Kareem's his spot secure, Magic spot secure. You know, I, Jamal Wilkes was still with us. He was a small forward. And the reason I, I wore 52 in college, and the reason I changed to 42 was because Silk had that number. Yep. And I, want, and, I, and I wanted Jackie Robinson's number. But anyway, I looked at Silk. I said, nah, I can't get that. Nah. And then Norm Nixon. I said, Norm Nixon was still with me. And then I looked over there. And I said, fucking Kurt Rambis. <laughs> you know? 
I said, the fucking guy can't jump. He can't the, the run. Jake it's the role, the role players. And I said, you know, he had these glasses on that had duct tape keeping them together. He smelled like Ben Gay all the time. And had all this apparatus on and stuff. I was like, I, I can kick his ass. I'm going to get that spot. Well, let me tell you something. Within, like, 35 minutes uh, of those first couple days of practice, Kurt Rammers let me know what a real power forward was in the NBA. <laughs> oh, man, he beat the crap out of me, you know. All that talent, all that quickness, all that didn't mean nothing when you got down in the paint with Kurt, man. So I went over there and sit my ass down behind Coop and McAdoo <laughs> for a couple of years till some time came available. But that was my intro to the NBA. Kurt Rammers beating the hell out of me. He beat hey, down, you, you listening to Showtime with Coop Podcast, uh, with sharing some insightful BS with some of my legend <laughs> and NBA players. Uh, J-Dub, what are your thoughts? And, and this is one thing I always tell everybody, especially with the Los Angeles Lakers. Jerry West had the special innate ability to go out and get that one player such as yourself. Uh, he drafted me. Uh, he traded Norm and got Byron Scott. What are your thoughts uh, about Jerry West and his ability to transform that team into a legendary team? Yeah, Jerry West uh, can do on the phone in 10 minutes uh, what it takes most GMs to, you know, three or four months to do. Uh, Coop, I'll tell, tell you what he did for me. Uh, I was really quick, had a lot of talent. But, you know, once you're in the NBA, you get exposed. Yeah. You know, I play, I play my back to the basket. And I could usually beat my man. But when you beat your man and all of a sudden you turn into Mark Eaton or you turn into Manute Bowl or somebody like that. Uh, so Jerry West sent me to Pete Newell's camp. And he said, James, you got to face up. And that's when I started to hit the jump a little bit. But he has the ability to see things that other people can't see. He sees the missing pieces. Most, most people would have gone after, you know, Dominique Wilkins, you know, just to get a chance. But he saw that that's not what the Lakers needed, you know. They needed somebody to fit in, have a good attitude, show up. Not that Dominique doesn't have all of that. But he also, Coop, uh, understands what makes the engine work. Got to have a good battery. Got to have a good spark plug. Yep. Got to have a good carburetor. You got to have, you know, good oil, all that. You just can't have one good battery, a one good engine. Everything's got to be perfect, and they have to sink in together. And and that's what he's good at, man. He, he I haven't seen any other GM that, that has that, that ability. Uh, and, you know, as far as, in my opinion, what I saw, you know, he put that whole Laker – organization together. I know Dr. Buss is very insightful and other guys, but Jerry West was, you know, he was key. A.C. Green, who would yeah. ever have thought that? Um, you know, bringing guys like Larry Spriggs and Mike McGee off the bench, you know, when we needed them for three or four minutes. So he, he had a special ability to, to see what the team needed and, and, and had a good pulse uh, of what the team was. 
And Jerry also had that ability to, uh, when there was uh, friction or something going on with star players or key players, and you can talk about uh, Shaq and Kobe, he always could sit those players down and get them to buy into team, what it was all about. And that was the one thing I really appreciated about Jerry because he was like a dad to all of us. He was. He was. And a lot of, uh, a lot of the things that we wore on our shoulders on our sleeve, he had already worn on his. Yep. So, you know, back in the 60s when Elgin Baylor was his guy, kind of helped him, intro him to the – so he kind of knew. And, you know, you always saw him standing up there watching everything. You know, he knew when you had a rough day at home or if you were moody. He kind of knew. <laughs> and he'd pull you in, you know. He kind of yeah. knew what was happening. And, you know, Jerry was great, man. You know, he, he knew how to bounce players off of each other, you know. Uh, so yeah, he was, he was good. And, uh, uh, and, you know, he was also good at, you know, uh, not over celebrating, you know, we, we win, we win like seven games in a row and, you know, he was never happy unless we lost the two, you know, he said, well, you guys are winning, uh, without playing your best, you know? So he always kept us abreast, you know, we never really had to, uh, worry about, you know, being complacent or, you know, things like that with Jerry around. So you come into the Laker team, and we really loved having you there. Uh, James was the type of player that just – I've never seen anybody uh, really, truly work hard in practice. I think Magic did it. I mean, we all did it. But Worthy was that player that practiced just as hard as he did when he played the game. But you come to the Lakers, having a pretty good rookie season, and then you break your leg. Did you ever think you would come back from that? Yeah, I thought I did. You know, once I saw the diagnosis, you know, uh, uh, and but the, you know, I never had any. You know, I, I I had the metal put in my leg, and the rehab was pretty easy for me because I was still young. You know, I was like twenty-one. So everybody remembers the great Clyde Brewster. Yeah, you know, uh, he was one of the best before Gary Beatty. He was the best, you know, physical therapist in the world. So uh, the thing is, you know, with Clyde, he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna implement a lot of pain to you. So you're ready to get the hell out of there, man. You either gonna <laughs> suffer his pain or you gonna go back. But but nah, seriously, yeah. Uh, I I thought I thought I'd come back once they told me if I worked hard with the rehab. So that was huge for me because that you know I had just started to jail with the team around April 13th or 14th, and I was like really upset, but. You know, I, I snapped back from it, thank God. You know, I always think that things like that happen for a reason. Because when I first got with the Lakers, James, in 79, yeah. I tore my knee in summer league. So I think things happen for a reason. Had I not gotten hurt, they would have had to got, get rid of me because they had so many veterans. So that was a, truly a blessing in disguise. Uh, James, we're at the part of my show that we call Lightning Round. I'm going to ask you uh, something about – I'm going to ask you a couple of names and just throw out a couple of sentences about them, okay? First one will be um, – Kevin McHale. Kevin McHale. Uh, and they don't have to be nice, J-Dub. Nah, one Kevin, Kevin McHale. Here it is. You ring. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you already ring. talked about D. Smith. Uh, how about your parents, your mom and dad? You'll make me cry now. Uh, Outstanding humanitarians, uh, Coop. Just a love for people. And that's, you know, 
they 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 had three three kids, and I guess the key word that all of us could use is uh, major sacrifice. Yep, that's a good major one. Sacrifice. Uh, Dominique Wilkins. Uh, huge competitor. We were in the same high school class, 1979, in North Carolina, but we never got to play against each other. So I was always his biggest competitor. And uh, we, we beat them in college. We played them. Uh, uh, but but the human highlight fam, I would say, uh, biggest high school competitor. Magic, and you can't say magic without saying Kareem. Magic, the enhancer. If I had to choose one player to start my team in the whole wide world, you know, Kareem obviously is dominant. But if I had to pick one player, I would have to pick Magic because. He's going to make everybody get theirs. He's going to enhance everybody. And Kareem, uh, when I think of Kareem, I, I think historian. Because he's way smarter academically than he is a basketball player, if you can imagine that. So uh, historian and, of course, poetry and motion. For sure. You know, I was going to say Michael Jordan, but you already told us a little bit about him. So this next thing is a place. It's not a person, okay? The Forum Club. <laughs> Secrets. <laughs> Hi, this is Michael Cooper. There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, betonline.ag. NASCAR is back, and BetOnline has hundreds of games, events, and sports to still get in on. You can bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and USC, or even participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness-style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And coming up next Sunday, BetOnline has ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges joining them to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they are calling the final dance. Visit the website or use your mobile device and join today to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. Bet online, your online wagering solution. The Forum Club. Secrets. <laughs> Enough Forum said. Club, you listen uh, to Forum Man. Club. Magical, mystical. Explosive. <laughs> Explosive. <laughs> you said enough right there. Boom! It's showtime with Coop Podcasts, sharing some insightful BS with my friends. Hey, James, okay, so we finally we win a championship. You come to the Lakers, and now we're playing that team that I hate the most because I'm from Los Angeles. I grew up watching Jerry and Wilt and Elgin not being able to get over the hump, and we're playing them in 1984. And obviously, we lose to them that season. But eventually, we come to 85, and we finally beat the Boston Celtics. We don't have a special guest in on that, but tell, share your thoughts that 84 going into the 85 season. Well, for me, 84 was uh, kind of a breaking out for me. I had missed the playoffs the year before. It was my first playoffs. Uh, we're playing the Boston Celtics. Now, I remember preseason, 
Commissioner Stern trying to hype this up. You remember, I think we played them four times. Yep, that year. Two on the West Coast. We got the big TV contract. Um, you know, Coop, I grew up, my brothers went to North Carolina Central, a small historical black school in Durham, North Carolina. Sam Jones happened to play there. So we love Sam Jones. I was a little early, so the Celtics used to come on. I was a huge Paul Salas fan mm-hmm. growing up. So, but that changed, obviously. So in 84, and I want Cedric to hear this because I handed him the most valuable player award. <laughs> hey, Cedric, be quiet two. and let James finish. <laughs> Hold on. In game two, I handed him the most valuable player. Otherwise, it would have gone to a Laker. When I made that pass to Gerald Henderson, and we gave him that game. Because we go back 2-0, I think the chances are he wouldn't have been MVP. So he never thanked me, but maybe he will <laughs> on this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our conversation. Cedric Cornbread Maxwell. Max, how you doing? I am doing fine, gentlemen. I heard all these stories you guys were telling. I mean, they were they were really good with James and listening to it. You guys kept talking about Jerry West. And, and I love the fact that you said Jerry West was this great architect. But did you guys forget about Red Arback? What he did? By the Red ain't do nothing for us. He ain't do nothing for us. You're talking about a great architect of teams. But, you know, I'm going to tell you this right now. This ain't going to be no damn love fest over here. We ain't going back and forth. And, you know, I'm going to tell, say this to James, first of all. I admired him as a college player. Loved him. I, I saw him playing. I saw all these different things he did. And then, damn it, he went to the, then went to the dark side. That is what really pissed me off. <laughs> no, you went to the dark side. That's, that's, that's a blue over there. What are you talking about? That's heaven. And, and <laughs> next thing I know, I'm watching James in college. I'm like, damn, this dude's pretty good from Gastonia, you know, right down the street from UNC Charlotte. So I heard about James. As a matter of fact, James, I, I'll say this. There was a guy who told me a story about two or three years ago. He comes tells me and says, let me tell you something. When you guys were in college, James Worthy came over there as a, a high schooler and kicked you guys' ass. I said, are you crazy? I was an All-American. James Worthy was in high school. Do you think that really happened? But it was really something just to watch you play and watch you develop over the years. And you said you gave me the MVP. I tell you what I love. I love watching you grow as a player after I got through playing you and watch how you just took everything to a whole nother level. Well, Cedric, you know, man, I go way back with you, bro. I know you from Kingston, North Carolina. I was from Gastonia, North Carolina. You're a few years older than me. And so the boys club in our little hometown, we only had Belmont Abbey, Gardner Webb, Barbara Scotia, and then UNCC. So I was a huge Cornbread Maxwell fan. Like, we came to see you guys play Robert Parrish one night. Wow. In the Charlotte Coliseum. You remember that? Yeah, yeah. We, we, double, we had a sellout. Yeah, double double zero. We were sitting right behind the bash. I watched your every move. I, I You know, I to me, you were the first guy to handle the ball, a big guy before I saw Magic. Okay, yeah. y'all ran a kind of a four corners too. 
So I saw you guys wax set uh, Robert Parrish, and I was like, man, uh, UNCC. I thought I might be going to UNCC or you from Gastonia. So we go way back, man. So, uh, but then you became a Celtic. And now, <laughs> and now that's where the good now part starts. So, J-Dub, <laughs> 1985 yeah. come. You handed him the MVP, but we came back with a vengeance, had that first game that was just scared everybody, but we settled ourselves down, and then you went to whipping Max's ass in 85. Yeah. Max, I don't know if Max played that much in 85. Thank you. We, Thank you, James. I, that's his Don't worry about I mean, that. I, I was yeah. Year. I didn't even play. I played maybe in that game, in that series, yeah. I played maybe about 30 minutes total, total the entire game. Now, in game seven in 1984, when we played you guys, I played 40 minutes in that game against your guy, James. And that is when I used to say about James Worthy, everybody asked me today, and I won't say it behind your back, I'll say it in your face. At that time, you want big game, James. You were little game, James. Now, you grew into big game, James, especially after we stopped playing you guys. And the one thing I always remember this guy told me, he said, he talked to you and he said, James, he said, what player gets, you know, just, you know, you think about all the time. He said, well, there's this one guy. He's not the best player in the world, but damn it, when I play damn Cornbread Maxwell, I stay up nights dreaming about how am I going to go at him. I said, really? but that just goes to show you that Larry and Mikhail wasn't all that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> nah, I admired your game. You were tough. I can't take nothing away from you in 84. Uh, you never had me in your back pocket. But you, 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 were, you, were, you were a force, man. That's all I'm going to say about that. Well, the one thing I always remember, and that's why I said you were better than that, there was a, a game in 84 that we played you guys. When we played you in the championship that, that year, I go in for a layup, and you, I mean, I'm in the air, and you two-hand push me in the back into the stanchions. Yeah. I said, this dude is, you are better than that. And I can understand yeah. you, but but that's when I knew that you had kind of lost your cool because that's not the kind of player you were. Well, Max, Max, we I, I fighting think, fire I with fire. In- go ahead, J.D. I said, I think we I- were fighting fire with fire. Y'all was pushing and banging on us. We did the same. Go ahead, Clever. The the thing was, that wasn't our style, Coop. You know, our our style was getting up and down the court. Nobody really, you know, had interrupted that. And I think, you know, that's one of those old radar back strategies. They know they couldn't keep up with us. Exactly. You know, they sent in (laughs) old fucking Craig Tight, you know, (laughs) use his six file. Scott Wedman, you know, they, so it worked because, you know, it's like when you're playing on those old schoolyards, somebody hits you, you're going to hit back. And it kind of took us out of our game. I would never push anybody in the back, but I was new to this. I felt like I felt like I got in Kurt Ramis's way when, when Mikhail sidelined uh, Kurt like that. I, my peripheral vision saw somebody coming, and I, I I interrupted that. But I'm not going to apologize for pushing you in the back because you didn't get hurt. But if you had gotten hurt, <laughs> I'm going to apologize. <laughs> hey, I knew what I was doing. I saw the pads there, bro. I knew you were going into the bad set. I, I, I said of all the players on that team, and I'll, I'll tell you a story. This is one of my favorite Lakers stories 
and this is why I love Pat Riley. We were playing you guys in the – at that time, we played you guys in exhibition games. And so it was some game, and I heard Larry Spriggs over there. He was screaming and yelling at me, sitting on the sideline. The ball goes out of bounds near Pat Riley. I get the ball. The referee's about to hand me the ball. And I told him, hey, hold up a minute. Hold up. And he looks at me, and Pat Riley's standing beside me. I said, Pat, do me a favor. Put one of them motherfuckers in down there, would you? <laughs> <laughs> and he, he said, Spring, go in the game. <laughs> he went in to guard me. I scored about six points. I said, the next time people are out here working, you need to sit your ass down. <laughs> he went back to the bench. I never heard another word. <laughs> so that's the, I do appreciate Pat Riley. Hey, Dub. Uh, your favorite, yeah. one of your favorite uh, moments against the Celtics. Well, you know, I, I, I think you know. Obviously, you better not no say dunk on me. You better not say when you dunk on me. <laughs> I swear to God, you better not oh, say. Oh, thank you for reminding me. You, of that, better, man. you better not say that, dude. Thank we... you, Cedric. <laughs> I wasn't gonna say anything about that till he said I had me in his back pocket. So I, I think, I think Coop. I think overall, man, you know, when I think of Elgin Baylor, uh, when I think of Happy Harrison, who's from North Carolina, uh, when I think of all the fans and, you know, uh, Jerry, Will, those guys that never won a championship. I mean, not only were we representing ourselves, uh, but we were representing a lot of hurt hearts over the 60s, and, you know. So, and then we, we're the only team to have won on that parquet floor. Yeah. Uh, to me, that more than anything, more than any one play, uh, that kind of is gonna gonna hold, uh, you know, a, a lot of history there. You know, Coach uh, uh, Doctor Bus made that statement after uh, after we won. Let it be known that it can never be said again. So I think to me, because Boston was a was kind of a shitty town to, to play in, man. They, wow. The fans were tough. The fans were tough. <laughs> Uh, my uncle lived there during the busing year, so I know <laughs> I knew Boston, man. So the, some of the phone calls we used to get, uh, you know. So, uh, uh, but it's a beautiful city, some beautiful people there, some beautiful history. If you if you enter that, yeah. But it was a tough place to play. That really good fans. I always compare Boston and New York fans. They kind of know the game, and they appreciate the game when you bring it. I remember them applauding Kareem and giving us a uh, a hand. So to me, that that stands out bigger than anything because nobody else has ever won in that building. You know what? Let, no, I'm gonna tell you this. This is the one thing that really bothered me about Lakers Celtics, and it hurt me because as a Celtic player, our our blackness was challenged. And that was one of the things that really bothered me about the Lakers Celtics. We had great black players, but we weren't identified in that way. And I remember Cooper saying to, you know, talking about my guy, ML Carr, calling him Fiddler, like he was in Roots or something. (laughs) (laughs) And and I hated that. I I hated the fact that it was, I understood how it was a a black-white game, but it was like you were challenging the other players who were black on our team, like we weren't black enough to be, you know, playing against you guys. And that bothered me. I, I think Boston's history kind of, kind of, you know, I don't think 
intentionally, but I think the history of Boston and some of the things that we experienced, man, I got some, I got some tough phone calls, man. This is after telling um, uh, the, the, the operator to hold our phones, but I understand your point, playing for that team. You know, it's the same thing in the Spike Lee movie, you know, do the right thing. It was either bird, you know, it was just you, 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 you black or you white, no matter yeah. what race you are. Uh, and, but the one thing I always admired about Red Arbat is, you know, and I believe he's a Jewish gentleman, uh, yeah. is during the time when the NBA uh, really didn't want to, you know, bring black players in, he bought us in. He bought yeah. Bill Russell, you know, Casey Jones you know, Sam Jones. And, you know, during a time when the NBA was predominantly white to a town that was, you know, had a lot of issues as well. So I, I'd always, my, my college coach explained that to me about Red Auerbach before I became a, a NBA player because Coach Smith was very, uh, he was very conscious like that. So I, I do give Red Auerbach for bringing in those guys. And then Bill Russell stood for, all the things that we needed to learn about life, civil rights, yeah. stuff like that. So he, he was an outspokesman guy in a setting that really wasn't set up for that. So I, I do give Red credit for that. And, and well, then you, you know what? I, and I say this about Red, too, which I love, again, about the, the racial or the black-white issue, is that Red was about winning. He was about yes. bringing a good product being to Bingtown, and the fans were very rabid about that. And he didn't care who got it done, as long as they got it done for the Celtics. So that's a good point you made. Cedric? Why, why did – but then again, Coop, why did you challenge our blackness? Because uh, that's and got a way of – And let me say this – let me, James, let me say this in front of as black as he is, he's going to challenge our black. <laughs> Listen, I was trying to get under y'all's skin, and it definitely worked because you're still carrying that load today. <laughs> I just, and you know, the thing that I love, and you know, we can, everybody always says, well, you didn't get along with this, didn't like these guys. Well, we really didn't, and I don't think nothing was wrong with it at, at that time. You know, it wasn't nothing wrong with it. I, I hated Tragic Johnson. I hated all the things that the Lakers stood for at that time, but I appreciated the competition that we had against you guys. The thing I believe, and I've told Cooper this, I said, James, when we played you guys in 84, you guys were a better team, but you weren't, I don't think you were mentally as tough as we were at that time, but what you did well, what we made you do at that time, and you, you thanked me for this. Well, you should thank me for this, the fact that you guys went on to be the dominant team because you guys didn't take any crap after you played us. It was like, look, damn, you know, forget about all this other stuff. If you want to play rough, we can play rough. If you want to play soft, we can play soft. And so I think that that is what I think the gift that we gave you guys after we played you in 84 and during those times when it was the Lakers and the Celtics. It was it was it was it was definitely a lesson learned. Uh, the Celtics the, the Celtics has had a brand of basketball over time. You know, Bill Russell was a defensive physical player. Nelson, all those guys. Over time, that was a brand that was had won all those championships. The Lakers had a style that just started nineteen eighty two with Magic kind. So they beat Philly a couple times. There's still – this is from my perspective because I was, a, I, I was a Philly fan back, Dr. J and 
you know, Cunningham, Bobby Jones. Don't say that, man. No, I'm just saying, they're the Carolina guys, Bobby Jones, Cunningham, and Doc, you know. But uh, so the Lakers were still developing. Uh, They they had the showtime, but then I came in as a young player, you know, uh, Michael Thompson came. So I I think you might be right there. It was a lesson learned. Even Pat Riley said, you guys knocked us off our, 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 our feet. You guys were better adapters at the time. We didn't adapt to you guys' physical play till the next season. You know, 84, you guys just kept bringing it to us. We kept trying to compete that way instead of getting back to our norm. So, uh, yeah. And, you know, we didn't – I ain't going to say we hated each other. Like, I wore New Balance shoes uh, as a rookie, and the guy that introduced me to New Balance was ML Carr right there in Boston. Uh, I knew I didn't know him all, but I knew he went to Guilford College. My brothers used to go see him play. So there's a connection. You know, we didn't hate each other, but that's the way it was back in the '80s. You weren't you weren't being friends with with guys. You know, back in those days. You well, know what? Let me definitely what Michael Cooper said to me one time, and I'll never forget this. I was in the parking lot. This is when I, I got traded to the uh, Clippers. I was on the parking lot, and we were playing the Lakers that night. And after the game, I was out there talking to a young lady. And, you know, she she left. And Cooper was walking by. He said, yo, man, leave our hoes alone. <laughs> <laughs> this dude ain't know me like this. <laughs> I was like, really? This dude came to me like that. <laughs> Big game, you don't hear me saying that, do you? <laughs> you what? Know, one, thing, one thing about Coop, and Coop don't mean it. But he will say it. He don't mean it, though. Well, he came right at me like that. And I was like, it was – and there's really something to see really how once I came to the Clippers and to see how disrespected the Clippers were at that time. I was playing against you guys, and, and obviously it was a foul, and guy fouled me. And I'm looking at the referee like, damn, you know, you're going to make that call. He, he looked at me and said, you don't play for the Celtics no more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say this. My one defining moment, and, and Max, you did hit it on the head, is that you did. You guys made us a better team. But where it really became uh, a reality for me is we come – losing you guys in 84, we come back in 85, and that first game was a Boston massacre. And I'll never forget that game because right after that game, Pat Riley takes us uh, – uh, into the locker room, and he just destroys this board. We go straight to the, to the conference room, and he destroys this board, and he tells us we will not ever lose like that again. And I think that was the eye-opening experience for me, that we had to change our our mental toughness attitude as far as being a finesse team into being a mentally tough physical team. And to me, that's when we took it to another level because we came back, we ended up winning that 85 championship, and that kind of set us on the – the mark that we did. Other one I love is that we're the first team because Boston has set such a high standard of winning 16 championships and so many in a row. 88 was f- good for me because we were the first team in 16 years to go back-to-back wins in championship year. Well, the thing I'm looking at now is that picture of Kareem behind you. And Kareem is Kareem was, was my favorite player, James. And, uh, you know, I wore 33 in college. And I'm playing against him in this first, one of my first games in the NBA. 
and I'm playing pretty well. And all of a sudden, Cap comes down and elbows me in the stomach. <laughs> I looked at it, man. I'm like, <laughs> and, and, it, and it, it, it didn't hurt me. It didn't hurt me physically, but it hurt my damn feelings because he <laughs> was my favorite player of all time, elbowing me for no reason. Stayed <laughs> <laughs> up over that. I was like, uh-huh. this dude just elbowed me for no reason, and it was like I was, I, I was just torn. Now they ended up playing playing with Kareem. Uh, we played uh, after he retired. We went over to Europe. We played against the Gold Trotters, and that's the first time I got the chance really to actually sit down and talk to him. And I always remember how intelligent people said he was, but until I got the chance to sit down and talk to him and break bread was the first time I really got a true appreciation for, in my respect, everybody talks about Jordan being the greatest of all time. Jordan was great. There's no question. But I look at Akeem Olajuwon dominated the game more than anybody (laughs) I think I've ever seen play the game, offensively and defensively. And Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was just just one of a kind when you think about what he was able to do and as long as he was able to do it. J.W., you see Max yeah. carries a lot of personal baggage with him, so his feelings are still hurt quite, quite a bit. But the uh, last couple of things for uh, J.W., uh, tell us about what you're doing in the community. Well, um, I go back to Gastonia, man. That's why, that's why I started my my humanitarian work first. We had a small foundation there uh, and we dealt with a lot of uh, veterans that come back uh, at at the foundation. So in my hometown, uh, if you don't go to college, you know, you you don't get a lot of exposure. A lot of guys go to the military. Some guys go to the military as a dentist. They come back. They're missing a a few certifications. Uh, We deal with homeless stuff. Uh, trying to get housing and find them jobs and things of that nature. I also do a scholarship at my high school uh, under my mother's name, uh, Gladys Worthy. I also do a scholarship at Sleepy Floyd's High School, too. So, And out here in Los Angeles, man, uh, we, we deal with uh, uh, special needs kids, and, 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 and we, we blend them with high-risk kids in a basketball league, you know, we put like six people on the floor with two mentors with the focus being on the mentors. We try to, we try to, we try to get the guys to spe- that, that fell through the cracks. A lot of them end up graduating high school. Some of them get little scholarships. So, you know, all the things that we needed growing up, even though we grew up in a small rural town, we had usually the, the preacher or, you know, your next door neighbor. That's when a village really did raise the neighborhood. Now we don't get that so much. So I try to reach out to, you know, all the entities that really, really need it and, and support it that way. Max, anything else for Worthy? Well, the thing that uh, you're talking about holding baggage, it was this year, this year in the game that the Celtics played. And uh, I think that's when Jason Tatum tore LeBron and everybody a new ass out there. And, <laughs> The Celtics end up losing that game by a couple of points. Well, in the in anyway, they go to the studio, and who is lighting up a cigar, a victory cigar on the air? <laughs> that again, this he ain't even playing. Hey, that's He's the worthy clap right the there, baby. That's the worthy clap. Hey, <laughs> I mean, hey I mean, Sam, I got. I'm like you, man. I got a new job now, man. Radio, it's a new career, man. So. I have this thing every time we play the Celtics, 
I say, we're going to get that Celtic ass. <laughs> and then if we win, I light up a cigar. But at one time, we, we, uh, we didn't allow Red R back to light up that cigar. He had it in his mouth in 85. He walked off the court with it. So that's where I got it from. My tribute to Red. Okay, I got it. Well, dude, right, you know what? It is uh, always, well, y'all say it now, it's a pleasure. You will always be my guy. Uh, we go back, you know, wherever it is, North Carolina, we talk about race relations and all those things. But you and I have gone through a different path in, in different areas. And I'm just happy to see that you're successful. I'll say it in the most honest, respectful way. You still went to the dark side, but, you know, uh-huh. I still respect you. Hey. And I congratulated you once you became an MVP. Well, let me tell you this. Are you still there, Sid? Yeah, yeah we're here. here. I'm going to end with this. Since I went to the dark side, I just want to say one thing. I am your father. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, James. All right, cool. All right, Sam. Max, thank you, All sir. Right, okay. Showtime with Cooper is presented by betonline.ag on CLNS Media. Again, please hit that subscribe button. That way you'll automatically get the latest episodes as soon as they're released. And please make sure to leave us a rating. This is Coop with Maxwell, Big Game James, my boy AT. We out. <laughs>